welcome to Her Voice, a podcast from The Choice, the media powered by ESCP Business School and dedicated to decision makers. My name is Emily Oliarchuk, and I'm from The Choice's editorial team. Her Voice is guided by one really important mission, to give the mic to women experts whose visions have transcended the competitive world of business, shaking things up for the better. Today, you'll be hearing the voice of Joe Bautista. Joe is a social entrepreneur and an alumna of ESCP's Master of Science in Entrepreneurship and Sustainable Innovation. In 2020, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe launched Send to Give, a nonprofit association based in Berlin, which enables people to use their creative skills and engage in intercultural collaboration to create social impact. SendToGive.org was one of 25 social organizations chosen for the Changemaker Exchange 2021 Europe, Middle East, and North Africa Summit. In addition to leading the nonprofit, Joe is currently the Partnerships and Communications Manager at Eunice Social Business, a social innovator that does impact investing and corporate innovation. Today, she is calling in from Berlin to share with us her passion for social entrepreneurship and how she applies both art and business for a positive impact. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining us on Her Voice. Hey, Emily. Thank you for having me. Before your master's in entrepreneurship and sustainable innovation at ESCP, you had spent several years in the Philippines working in various advertising agencies and in the e-commerce space. What was the spark that led you to change your career path and even the country you were living in? At the start of my career, I had actually been working in a highly demanding and commercially focused environment. So what does that mean? To give you an example, in the e-commerce company I was working for, we would have these huge campaigns two to three times per year. And by campaign, we they were really just online sales, actually. But they were so intense that our company would rent the entire hotel next to our office building so people could sleep there during campaign period. So there were days that we would leave the office at 2 a.m. and literally back at our desks by 9 a.m. because e-commerce never sleeps and we would be having breakfast, lunch, and dinner out of plastic containers at the office. Um, I also remember visiting our warehouse once, and this warehouse is something our company was really proud of because it was known to be one of the largest warehouses in Southeast Asia. And well, on one hand, it was incredibly impressive and exciting to see how big business can get, how much physical space and human activity business can exert in the world. But on the other hand, I also got to see how much plastic tape and bubble wrap goes into each package. And also knowing how big the difference of the salary is between the people working in the offices versus the warehouses, I realized uh, this wasn't something I wanted to contribute to anymore. But I did want to stay within that world of business because, as I said, I saw and believed that um, business has the power to affect change in the world and like affect force into the world. And so I was thinking it wasn't about eliminating this power of business. It was about redirecting it. And so I redirected my career path by taking my master's degree in entrepreneurship and sustainable innovation at ESCP. Could you tell us more about how you, this redirection influenced your decision to launch send to give and how send to gives mission has evolved since its creation? So send to give began as a disaster response initiative in 2020. So I was actually quarantined in Germany, away from my family and my home country, which is the Philippines, during this time of like literal, literal global crisis. So I remember waking up every day and, you know, being confined in my room 
and then switching on the news and seeing people getting sick and losing jobs and losing family members and basically losing hope. At this point in time, this really affected my mental health because I felt like super helpless and anxious. And I couldn't stop thinking about the people who were already struggling before the pandemic and like, how could they possibly be coping now? And so after days and days of um, panic attacks and crying, I realized like I can either keep having panic attacks and keep crying or I can do something about it. And so that's what I did. Um, so I knew that I wanted to raise money and send it back home to help people in need, uh, but I didn't know how. My initial idea was I was going to sell my artworks online, like sell my paintings online. Mm -hmm. But then it's funny to think about it now because it's like, okay, middle of a global pandemic, unknown artist saves the world <laughs> with her paintings, <laughs> you know, like, um, I realized quickly that nobody's going to buy my paintings at, at this time. So I pivoted my idea and instead I used the images of my paintings as postcard designs. And then I created a website where people could send a physical postcard to somebody somewhere in the world without having to ever visit a mailbox. So the idea was combining my art and my creativity and also people's need to connect with one another during this time of um, social isolation. Uh, all the profits that we raised from each postcard sale, we used to buy grocery packs and hot meals for the homeless in the Philippines. So that's how Send to Give started. And that's actually how it got its name too. So the idea is that you send a postcard to give mm -hmm. hope. The idea has grown beyond postcards and also beyond me. So Send to Give today aims to enable people to use their creative skills and engage in intercultural collaboration to create social impact. We take a project-based approach to our work, and we always aim to combine those three elements in what we do. And those elements are creativity, intercultural collaboration, and social impact. So to illustrate that a bit more concretely, we actually just concluded our first project, which started in October last year. The goal was to raise awareness and support for the 3.6 million Filipinos that today live without electricity or light. So how did we do that? We actually created a Halloween party and fundraiser, which had the theme of Philippine monsters. So the idea is to, to raise awareness and interest um, in, in the social issue, which at times I think the communication of social issues can be um, quite negative or quite um, one-sided. Uh, but by using creativity and art, we were able to bring the social issue to life and like using that contrast between light and shadow to talk about um, monsters and possibly heroes. So um, in this Halloween party and fundraiser, we invited Filipino artists to create their own depictions and stories of Philippine folklore, which we displayed in Revier Sudost Beer Garden here in Berlin. It's a really cool event place that worked with us. So we had three DJs, all different nationalities, about 130 attendees, and we also raised over 2,600 euros. Wow, so that's great. Yeah, I think so too. It's more than the goal we had originally set for the evening. So what we did with that money is we used it to purchase about 170 solar lamps, which just last December we distributed to indigenous communities in the Philippines. 
And the fact that we were able to, through a Halloween party and through just like friends working together, to give these people a solution that can last them over five years, I feel that's that that captures so much what we want to do. It captures um, the idea that you can apply your creative skills and collaborate with people from different cultures um, to do something fun and meaningful. So it's really, it's like you went, like you said, when you originally launched Send to Give, it comes from the creator themselves having a bit of that inward reflection, but finding an outward way of, of creating value for others from that exercise. So it depends a lot on the people who are going to join you in Send to Give and continuing this mission. Yeah, totally. And I also I also realized like in the past years, maybe I've become more sensitive to global issues or maybe it's just more present in the news. But I recognize that every culture, every community has has problems that they need solutions for. And so I think it's important to empower every single person um, with ability and the tools and the community to work towards those solutions because Ultimately, solutions come from people and what drives people are what they care about and their emotions. And so I want to really close the loop on all of those different factors so that like collectively, we as like a human race can individually work on what we care about and the collective outcome would be just a better world. Coming back to when you actually returned to the Philippines to give away those lamps, you talked a little bit about what that experience, how it opened your eyes and understanding this need that that was there. Could you dive a little deeper into that? I found it to be such a unique experience because of the people, like, and getting to come face to face with people who are so different from from us in the way that they live. For example. Um, in one of the towns, we started off um, the distribution by like warming up to them and asking them each to introduce themselves and say what they like to do. And then um, the second person that introduced herself, she stood up. She was a woman. She said her name and she said she loved to sing. And when I looked at her, I realized that she was a blind woman. And then, like, without any hesitation, she started singing. And the whole community went quiet. And all of us went quiet. And this moment just was so, like, unbelievable. Like, it was so beautiful for me because it's, I felt that she was, she had no hesitation and she had no fear. Um to sing and show us her talent. Another thing which struck me a lot was um, when it became nighttime. So um, at around 6.30 or 7, it was already pitch black. And the town we were in was a town next to a river. One of the ways that these people make money is that at night, they hunt for snails in the river. And the way that they do that is there has to be one person that's like knee deep in this river. And it's not like a little creek. It's like a river. Like, And another person has to be holding this bamboo, like strips of bamboo that they set on fire as the light. But sometimes by the time they get to the middle of the river, the light is already out. 
So imagine having to do that uh, on a daily basis for your food and having no alternative at all. Like that was just such a tiny bit of their lives. But I do think it's important to say that um, despite their lack of comfort, they are not lacking in joy or community or an appreciation of life. This desire for social impact and the emphasis you put on it follows you wherever you go, whether that's in a business or as an entrepreneur. And if we were to be even more specific, we would actually say that you are a social entrepreneur. In your experience as a social entrepreneur, could you define this term for us and how it differs from traditional entrepreneurship? So from my point of view, actually, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, they are brother and sister, social entrepreneurship and traditional entrepreneurship. Um, what they share is this spirit and this willingness to try and create something um, in the business world. Where it differs, I think, lies in mainly the values and the approach. So um, when it comes to values, social entrepreneurship, I believe, is focused more on what people and the planet need and from there, building a value proposition around it. So it's problem first, and then the how comes after. That's a really good point that we actually brought up in the first episode of this season with Nadia Muravit, who spoke with us about her experience doing business on the continent of Africa. And we asked her, what were some of the you know, kind of the areas of progress that are happening where they need to continue doing what's going going on and, and support it further. And she mentioned low tech, how there are so many solutions. And she gave an example in agriculture where the solution doesn't require, you know, robots in your fields. It's just a purely a question of, of solving the problem differently in a way that's accessible using the tools that already exist. And the main challenge then is just getting the word out there and sharing that knowledge. So this concept of of looking at problems through another lens and maybe a, without that technological element sometimes might actually be the most direct way to solve those issues. That's true. And I think um, that is one of the difference between social and traditional entrepreneurship. I feel like the traditional entrepreneurship space right now is very saturated with a lot of these like shiny, sexy concepts, like what you mentioned, like high tech and venture capitalism and racing, like I feel that one of the standards for a successful um, entrepreneur today is like how much money they can raise. Um, but I feel that with social entrepreneurship, it's not about how much money you can raise. It's about how much social or environmental positive impact you can create. This leads very well into our next question, because even though social entrepreneurs, as you said, are brother and sister with traditional entrepreneurship, I'm sure that there are challenges to be faced in going against the flow. Could you share perhaps a few of those that you've been confronted with? I think I would talk about two challenges. One is uh, that I only realized now, but it, it was a challenge in hindsight, that I didn't really have that many models of entrepreneurs that I wanted to be, especially female ones. Uh, like I think about the great women in history, in our collective history. And I don't actually think of um, female entrepreneurs. I think another challenge is coming up with my own images of success and my own metrics of success. 
because I, when it comes to traditional entrepreneurship, there's a very set image or expectation already of what is success. And most of the time it has to do with money. It has to do with, um, I feel like a more male oriented power wherein you can command something and like, um, like set the charge for something. Um, but I am realizing these are things I don't necessarily um, find meaningful to strive for. Like if I'm really going to apply my time, energy, and life on working towards something, uh, if that something was like a giant pile of cash, like on one hand, okay, <laughs> undeniably it would be nice. But on the other hand, I feel like after a while, isn't it just like a bigger and bigger pile and then it adding more to it doesn't really add more value to your life? Um, and so for me, I'm trying to, one of the challenges is trying to understand what is it that I want to achieve and what is it that if I'm able to achieve it, I would feel um, accomplished and that I, I spent my life well. Uh, and that leads into um, where I am now with seeing Send to Give. And what I'm seeing is that it creates a lot of personal growth and development. Like in the past three years, I haven't earned a cent from Send to Give, but I've earned so many opportunities um, and so many experiences. And in fact, this podcast now is one of the benefits that um, Send to Give has given me. And so while I am facing that challenge of understanding what is the value of putting my life into this endeavor, I'm already starting to see the answer, which is personal development and growth and also adventure and fun and new friends. You mentioned that you right now are not making a penny from Send to Give, and that is not something that's an objective for the immediate, the immediate future. That said, if you are able to dedicate your full time to it, it might allow you to continue to grow that impact. So do you think in the future you could imagine earning a living from Send to Give? Actually, to the surprise of some, my answer to that is always no. I feel that personally, I have a strange... I feel like money can have a very strange effect on the relationship we have with things. And I have seen that in my artist life. Like I've seen that, um, for example, when people pursue art and become full-time artists, they do it because they want to be completely free to do their art. But because their livelihood and their standard of living depends on how much money their art can make. It changes the relationship that you have with art. It changes what you would be interested or motivated to create. And I feel that adding a financial burden I, or the financial responsibility, putting the financial responsibility on Send to Give would actually... Um, change my relationship with it in a way that I am not interested to um, look into because I have a job right now, which I love, which is in the same direction. And so actually sent to give and my job at YSB mutually reinforce one another. And I'm really happy to keep sent to give as 
that nonprofit um, experimental creative playground that it it is. I think that's a fair argument. Before we get to our very final question of the episode, wanted to take a step back and return to this general concept of social entrepreneurship. Where do you see that in the future, in your knowledge of the business space, in your vision for how you want the future of business to function and contribute to society? What role do you see social entrepreneurship playing? In my ideal world, social entrepreneurship is business as usual. It's the way we do business. Um, I feel that it's already happening now wherein traditional business is being challenged with this call to step up to solving issues and contributing to the SDGs. Um, And I feel that that's only going to become stronger and stronger. And so I feel social entrepreneurship has a really strong place in the world. Um, We've also seen that in terms of the research. So globally, in different parts of the world, social entrepreneurship is not just a concept. There are already legal forms for it. There are impact investing funds that support it. Um, It's a movement that's happening. And I think it's just uh, a matter of time till it's no longer social entrepreneurship, but just entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for sharing your experience in becoming a social entrepreneur and what that means to you. And hopefully you yourself, and it's already the case, are that example, that potential mentor for others who are looking to follow in similar footsteps. And that leads well into our final question and one that we ask every single guest on Her Voice. What advice would you give to others who are looking to find their voice? So my advice would be to follow your passion and a clue for that would be to just see what you naturally do when you have free time to see what you genuinely enjoy. Like if nobody is making you do something or if nobody is paying you to do something, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, what is it that you just as you are attracted to and are willing to spend your time on. Uh, And once you find that, to uh, dive into it and to give yourself to it. Because um, on one hand, there's the uniqueness, which is something that makes our voices our voices. But on the other hand, there's also the power um, of voice. And I think that power comes from hard work and um, a boldness and a courage to uh, share your thoughts and to recognize that your unique position in the world um, has a purpose. Thank you so much for sharing the strong concluding message and advice for our listeners and for joining us on this episode of Her Voice. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Emily. I had a really nice time um, sharing my thoughts and talking with you. Uh, for all of those who are interested in learning more about Send to Give, feel free to visit our website at sendtogive.org. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of Her Voice, powered by ESCP Business School's Media, The Choice. 
We appreciate your time and hope you feel as inspired as we do after listening to Joe Bautista share her vision of the future of social entrepreneurship and how she creates a positive impact through business and art. In our next episode, Elodie Andrio will be telling us all about the French patron and the insights she learned from interviewing 52 women CEOs in France. Stay tuned. If you're a keen listener and have already given us five stars or subscribed to the show, don't hesitate to tell other people who might enjoy it as well. Thank you to the team behind Her Voice, my co-producer Jean Weckler, our agency You Love Words, and the recording studio Laria Boutique.